Welcome everyone to the BISA Portfolio Podcast. I'm Rich Blake, Portfolio Contributing Editor. This is part two of a special two-part series with two members of the BISA Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, Kevin Beard, Chief Growth Officer at Atria Wealth Solutions, and Jim Nickens, President of InSource Inc. and Executive Vice President of U.S. Annuity Partners. Kevin and Jim, welcome back again. Thank you for participating in today's conversation. In the first part, you both shared your leadership journeys, and we started to discuss what DE&I means to you and how organizations can make a measurable impact. We're going to expand on those themes, continuing to look toward the future. We talked about change coming incrementally and things sometimes being uncomfortable. So like any change or progress forward in an organization, executive buy-in is essential, and that includes commitment to DE&I. What are some ways to engage leaders to take more action, to hold leaders accountable to supporting these initiatives in an organization? Kevin, what's your advice? Thank you again for part two and being here again. You know, I I will say if our industry truly wants to be in a place to have buy-in, DEI needs to be center stage. It has to be core to the values and firms must enact programs and initiatives that I would say represent underrepresented groups. You know, that DEI needs and, and being core and part of the community has to become part of the ethos and giving back in the workplace. So many times uh, I would say, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone has a story in moving up in management and moving up in corporations and so forth. And with that, you need to, I would say, whoever you are in those places of position, doesn't matter if you're a person of color or not. I look at it as you should all be giving back and, and talking about the challenges, the steps that you took to get to where you are and helping mentor those who, you know, are again, who are underrepresented and enact those programs and make sure that you hold each other accountable to get to where you want to be and move those goals together. So that for me is what I think is, is key to, to the question here of, of moving DEI and organizations and making this front and center. I'm right with you there on that, Kevin. In my experience, if it's not measured and transparent, it's not done. And that's really where our industry in particular, most industries on the whole have to be very comfortable with that. It's the action, not the box checking, not the words that will provide growth and change. And DEI is part of that and should be attacked like any other initiative at the corporate business level. And it comes with planning, strategy, focus, and execution. But then there also has to be that second part, and that's true engagement and mentorship, like Kevin said. The individuals in the C-suite, leadership positions, if they're not mentoring, they're not growing themselves or their company. That's just my personal opinion. I think that is part of being a leader is not just pushing things forward, it's pulling and tugging other individuals to be as successful as you are as well. That's the challenge that I think that we need to, some places I I would say are probably doing this very well, but as an industry as a whole, and I look around at the conferences that I attend, there's a long way to go. And you hit on something that was important, Jim, is from my seat and vantage point at Atria, I see, you know, we have both what I call our FI channel, which is institutions, banks, credit unions, and then our independent wealth management channel, 
and you mentioned something too, if you're not building, if you're not growing and planning for the future. And in our independent channels, we always often hear in terms of the average age of an advisor is 57, 58 years old. And I remember four years ago when I went to BISA, and I think you introduced me to many of the people at BISA. I was very impressed because I think the average age was much, much younger. And what you saw were a much more diverse group, young women, young men, women of color, men of color, different backgrounds. And that's where I think, again, wealth management as a whole, depending if you're in the bank channel or even in the wealth management channel and then independent or even in a wirehouse is where we need to integrate. It was, is we need to have a younger generation. We need to be more inclusive. We need to have that mentorship so that we don't have where, hey, the average age is 57, 58 years old and there's no continuity or succession of the future and looking for, I would say, younger talent. And then I'm also, I would say, very optimistic by the fact that even at colleges of financial planning that I've seen and being on the CFP board and involved with them, many of the students are from diverse backgrounds who are coming into the space because they want to help people. They want to do something. And that's where I look at in our industry specifically as we talk about BISA is we have a young people that are hungry to do more and be impactful in their communities and want to give back. And so that's where I think, again, us as leaders is being mentors, helping others and helping foster these young minds that are looking to be where we are today and helping them evolve in their careers and pushing upon them to continue to give back because they will be our age and they will also have to, I will say, teach and educate those who are coming up behind them too. Absolutely. You get out what you put in. Can we touch on some specific examples of effective leadership in financial services with respect to diversity and inclusion? Anyone in particular we can single out? If not, some leadership techniques you guys can each speak to? Thanks, Rich. I'll go ahead with that one. I was thinking about this question for a while, and it brought me to some individuals that have really taken the no's and turned it into yes. They were told they couldn't do certain things, and they decided they were going to do it because it was impactful and benefited not just them, but a lot of other individuals. Wole Coxum, he's the head of Mocafi which is a great organization that helps bring banking to underserved. Jordan Miller, who was my personal mentor over at Fifth Third, he's now retired, but he was the gentleman that really worked to not just bring a diversity of color, but a diversity of thought into the program and made it a place for me to really blossom. He also gave my first big managerial role in the business. And I know many of the individuals listening to this podcast will know him as he was a frequent attendee before he retired of BISA. And then uh, Blair Smith from the Milken Institute, he's a new hire, but he's in charge of their DEI initiative, but he brings a wealth of knowledge to the discussion. And I believe with his guidance, he'll be able to use his platform to directly interact with the C-suiters to help talk about and execute on the change that we've discussed today. I agree. Some of the examples that I think of as leaders or DE and I is 
you know, our home state here, Jim, my alma mater, Kent State, Lester Lefton, yeah. <laughs> who I yeah. think in 2009 was one of the first to spearhead DE&I in, in the education and the university sector. Uh, last podcast, I mentioned Kenneth Chenault, who, again, I looked at as a leadership of exemplar in the financial services community because there were not many people of color or anyone at that, at that time when I was growing up that I knew of that I could look to. And so what he did with American Express, I always saw as positive. There probably are plenty others, and I just unfortunately am not thinking of them and not by, I don't want to leave out anyone, but I would say I, I know that there have been many others out there in different fields and in different industries. But those are the two prominent ones that I can think of, Lester Lefton and Kenneth Chenault. We're going to follow up now on that prior question. We hit on some specific people that have influenced you that you admire. Can we talk about factors for success? What's some some key attribute about their style, how they approach things that were crucial for success, leadership qualities? I will say everyone that I mentioned and many others that I didn't mention, it was they embraced their role and their mission. They knew the power of their success. And they also knew that eyes were watching if they failed. And they ran with it with a basic thought process is I'm going to execute. I'm going to execute flawlessly. And if I have a question, I'm going to leave with why not? Why can't we do this? Why shouldn't we do this? Sell me on why it can't happen. And it was that constant focus on success, which is what impressed me most and put me in a position of emulating that as I grew as a leader as well but it's mostly understanding the mission. And then also I would add challenging those around them to look at what they're trying to accomplish and why they're asking for investments in people and personal growth in areas where it may not look like the rest of the people in the C-suite. So they're all challengers, in my opinion. I echo that sentiment. I think it's questioning and challenging the status quo, learning to have the uncomfortable conversations so that you can not only lead by example, but also teach by example. But I mean, let's face it, they were passionate about where their place was, where their role, and what they needed to do to execute on the plan. And a lot of that, as Jim said, is being a challenger. Or again, I'm going to date myself here, that word maverick. <laughs> you know, they were mavericks. And again, challenge the status quo to get things done. Nobody likes to have an uncomfortable conversation. Nobody likes conflict, but they're, you know, at the right situations, you have to be the challenger. You're going to have to face conflict head on, or I would say be the one to have the uncomfortable conversation and create the conflict. What did Representative Lewis used to say? Let's get in some good trouble. And that is, you know, I look at it as what you have to do to be a challenger. You have to get in good trouble. Kevin, continuing on that theme, future leaders who are going to hear this and they're looking forward to a more inclusive, diverse financial industry, and as they affect change, be the change they want to see, give them some advice. You know, my advice is that the, at least I can relate to my own story. I would say that I, I have no regrets on what I have done and the support that I had to get to where I am is first of all, build that support system, be it your family, and then look to those and your community and 
in your professional career that can be mentors, that can help and hold each other accountable and then establish the goals. And then when establishing goals, it's not just, I'm going to do this, but put a timestamp to it. I want to accomplish to have my CFP by 2023. I want to mentor someone and hopefully recruit someone that will follow in my footsteps by this time. I mean, you know, whatever it may be, it's just like running a race. You know, I, I give another personal example. So I'm right now signed up to run a half marathon. And obviously, like everyone else, because of our quarantine situation at the time during COVID, you probably gained what I call the COVID weight. And so I set a goal for myself. And with that, you know, it's, it's, in, it's an acting on it. And I've set timestamps for myself, too, to say I will be here by that time. So that's my advice to those that are looking. And, and I'm always, say, open and willing. I, I love it when I get someone from LinkedIn or someone who reaches out to me via email and asks, hey, can I just have 10 minutes of your time because I saw your profile. I saw what you've done in your career. And I just want to get your advice. And I look at that as that's part of the giving back. It is part of how can I help you get to where you want to be and reach those goals. And my goal someday in life is that someone will one day call me up and maybe they'll be CEO of Merrill Lynch or some large financial corporation and say, you know, it, what you told me or that book you shared with me or the advice that you did or, or it gave me at that time, I'm here today and I want to say thank you. And, you know, that for me is my ultimate goal, not just for my kids to say that to me, but also to have someone else come back and say, Thank you for what you did and how you helped me get here. I would say the almost the exact same thing, Kevin. You're spot on. The way I phrase it when I'm mentoring is I challenge everyone to step up and step out. Step up means go find the people that you want to emulate, whose career paths you want to follow. Reach out to them and do like Kevin said. He and I are very much wired the same way. I will give almost anyone my time especially if they sell me on that they're interested in growing. So that's just how, like I said earlier in the first podcast, that's how I was raised. It's my job to help other people succeed now. And then the step out piece is step out of your comfort zone. Just because it's been done a certain way or you were taught to do a, a certain thing in undergrad or business school, that may not be the right way. Challenge the pathway. That's the stepping out part. That's the advice I would give, step up and step out, because there are people like Kevin and I that are very much impressed by those attributes and our friendly voice, because we also know that by having more individuals that are like-minded and successful, that's a great way for us to, you know, and I'm thinking once again about my daughters who are two gener three generations, wow, behind at this point. That's a great way for them. To, the people I mentor now are setting the stage for my own children. Some members of the BISA community will be listening to this very attentively and pondering this two-part series. If there's one takeaway that someone who hears this, something impactful, can go off and, and make a difference, what might that be? Change is inevitable except from a vending machine. That's the takeaway. And that's pretty much what we've, we've talked about during these first and second part is change. We can't stop change. You can't push back the clock. It's better to be accepting that change will come and help being part of the change and the molding of the change. 
that would be my takeaway. I've used that throughout my entire career and it's helped me through many challenges in life, understanding that I cannot be sedentary or the world will pass me by. Get out of your bubble, be a challenger. And I would say with that change comes the reward. You know, I often think of the quote of doing the same thing over and over is insanity. And here it is, as I said before, taking the words from the late Representative Lewis, get in good trouble, be a challenger and get out of your bubble and push yourself. That's the common theme we heard on both parts of this podcast is everyone that we've talked about, everyone that we've talked about who mentored us and even in ourselves is to be a challenger and be a change agent. And I think that is the common theme and the takeaway here. Well, you guys have shared a lot of thoughts and advice on how we all can be more empathetic, inclusive leaders in this BISA community of ours. So thank you for your time and for sharing all that. And thanks everyone for tuning in. This concludes the two-part series of the BISA Portfolio Podcast with Kevin and Jim. Look out for more discussions and conversations with leaders in the financial industry like these two in the future. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin.